section 13 of the romance of polar exploration this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interfaceaudio.com the romance of polar exploration by c firth scott chapter 11 the second voyage of the fram the expedition which formed the second visit of the fram to the arctic regions was equipped by private norwegian enterprise and sailed from larvik on june twenty fourth eighteen ninety eight the day known in norway as st hans day the party consisted of sixteen all told under the command of captain sverdup who with two other members of the party were in the fram with nansen on her previous voyage under the command of captain sverdrup who with two other members of the party were in the fram with nansen on her previous voyage the plan of operations was to proceed to the most southerly point of greenland sail to the north along the western coast to smith sound where the ship was to push as far to the north as possible and form a headquarters whence sledge expeditions were to be sent out in all directions to explore and survey the immediate locality and at the same time to observe and record all natural phenomena of a scientific nature as to the exact localities to which chief attention was to be paid the commander of the expedition was to use his own judgment but on one point the instructions were definite and emphatic there was to be no attempt at a dash for the pole on august twenty first the fram reached a suitable place for winter quarters on the way along the greenland coast the explorers had to take on board dogs for the sledge teams and also to obtain a store of walrus meat wherewith to feed them so that it was not until the date mentioned they were able to reach rice strait which afforded them all the facilities they needed for winter quarters as Peary was already to the north, engaged in mapping out the land in that direction, the Norwegians decided to give their attention to the land lying on the western side of the strait, in the vicinity of Hayes Sound, where Nares, in 1875, had done considerable work. They completed the survey of the coastline running around the Robeson Channel, and during their stay not only mapped out an area of 100,000 square miles, but also located hitherto undiscovered land which was named after king oscar of norway and taken possession of in his name valuable additions were also made to the zoological geological meteorological and botanical records while the story of the expedition abounds in interesting experiences the sun set on october sixteenth for the remainder of the winter a party was out taking observations over some mountains behind the bay in which the fram was anchored and had returned to camp for the evening meal as the sun was going down one of the party drew the attention of the others to it and they gathered at the door of the tent and watched it in silence we were looking at the sun for the last time that year captain sverdrup wrote in his account of the expedition its pale light lay dying over the island ice its disk light red was veiled on the horizon it was like a day in the land of the dead all light was so hopelessly cold all life so far away we stood and watched it till it sank then everything became so still 
that it made one shudder as if the almighty had deserted us and shut the gates of heaven the light died away across the mountains and slowly vanished while over us crept the great shades of the polar night the night that kills all life with a stretch of four months darkness before them it was impossible to avoid recalling the records of others who had gone through the lonely periods of darkness and cold it was a disquieting subject franklin with one hundred and thirty-eight men under his command had seen the sun go down into the polar night and not a man of all the party had lived to tell the tale greeley with twenty-five men had seen the silent darkness come on near where they were situated at the moment six had lived to see the dawn nordenskold wintering in the white bay had seventeen men die of scurvy with an abundance of food around them for when the last victim was found lying where he fell he had a piece of salt pork still clutched in his fingers while in the camp there were scores of tins of preserved fresh meat unopened true it was that science since then had made vast strides and prejudice and ignorance had been largely overcome but when men find themselves absolutely cut off from all communication with the outside world and with all sorts of possible dangers and disasters hidden in the future it is only the foolhardy who fails to realize them the brave man does not shut his eyes to dangers he looks them squarely in the face and determines to overcome them such a man usually wins it is the man who shuts his eyes to what is in front of him who is defeated the winter passed without any fatality among them although there was an occasion when one of the members nearly came to his end various trips were taken when the moon was up to try and locate the site where greeley made his historic camp on pym island in february two men set out to look for it with the thermometer at negative forty degrees fahrenheit but the men experienced no ill effects from it on their journey they found some pieces of rope and sailcloth scattered about at a spot on the north side of the island and came to the conclusion that this must have been the site of the camp having examined the place they were about to return to the fram when one of them sank to the ground his companion strove to lift him up but without avail he had suddenly become exhausted and his strength gave out so entirely that he could not remain on his feet it was a serious situation a few hours of inactivity in such a temperature without an excess of fur clothing and warm food meant freezing to death his companion was in doubt whether to wait and strive to rouse him or to run to the ship for help he adopted the latter course and sped away as fast as his legs could carry him arrived at the fram he raised the alarm and everyone turned out and hastened to the rescue a sledge was quickly harnessed to a dog team and on it were placed furs and food the place where the man had collapsed was about a mile away and the rescuers were soon at his side he lay in a heap on the frozen snow too far gone to recognize anyone he was pushed into a sleeping bag placed on the sledge and driven off at top speed to the ship where he was promptly put into his bunk and restoratives administered to him soon the efforts were successful and he sank into a sleep from which he awakened many hours after little the worse for his adventure he escaped without even a touch of frostbite a few days after this episode the temperature fell rapidly 
until the thermometer registered as low as negative 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Peary, the American explorer, was at the time some 15 miles to the north of the Fram, and the temperature in his locality went down to negative 67 degrees Fahrenheit. A cold so intense that, hardened as he was to the rigors of Arctic weather, he had seven toes so severely frostbitten that they had to be amputated. A small party from the Fram was out on the ice at the time, and the cold was so trying to them that they squeezed into their sleeping bags clad, as they were, in heavy fur garments. Still, they were unable to get warm, so they lit their oil stove to raise the temperature in the tent. Well, this being done, one man complained bitterly of the cold in his back, and a comrade seeking a cause for it found that the moisture from his body had turned to white frost on the inside of his thick woolen jersey. To thaw it, they put the lighted stove between the jersey and the man's back, whereupon, he exclaimed, Ah, that's not quite so cold. Yet the way in which mankind can adapt themselves to all varieties of climate by use and custom was shown by a visit they had from one of Peary's Eskimo. He reached the Fram on a day when the temperature was negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Invited on board, he said he must first change his traveling clothes, and in the open air he stripped to the waist to remove his heavy furs and put on a lighter suit. He was apparently as unaffected by the intense cold on his naked flesh as one of the Norwegians would have been had the thermometer stood at 40 degrees above instead of 40 degrees below zero. The visit of the Eskimo proved an enjoyable break to the explorers, though their generosity in giving him presents at the time of his departure resulted in so many more coming to visit them that they had rather too much of a good thing. But when he first arrived, the visitor was peculiarly welcome. They entertained him to various amusements, commencing with dinner and concluding with a concert. To the latter, the Eskimo contributed his share. He was greatly taken with a toy drum belonging to one of the party, and played his own idea of a melody upon it. As the host did not manifest any displeasure at his performances, whatever they may have felt, he became bolder and offered to sing them a song. To the accompaniment of the drum he commenced with a weird wild tale, which gradually developed in volume of sound and variety of intonation, until the listeners began to feel shivers running up and down their spines. At that point the singer, who had so far sat rigid, began to sway his body from side to side, while he tossed his head backwards and forwards. He had long, dark black hair, and as he moved quicker and quicker in time with the drum and the staccato wails, his hair was tossed over his face until the features were obscured. This appeared to be the critical moment in the performance, for he raised himself from his seat, and with his hair tossing, his voice wailing, his body swaying, and his hands thumping vigorously at the drum, he completed the discomfiture of his hosts, who, disposed to smile at the beginning of the performance, were distinctly uncomfortable at the finish. The performer, however, was by no means dissatisfied with himself. He was a great singer, he told them, perhaps the greatest in the tribe. They had only to ask some of the others of his tribe to sing to realize the truth of what he said, he added. But the Norwegians were satisfied with the one experience. 
during the sledge journeys numerous indications were found of musk oxen being in the neighborhood of the sheltered valleys in the interior of the islands as a supply of fresh beef was always desirable considerable attention was paid to these animals and from time to time the larder was kept well supplied with their meat on these hunting expeditions some interesting observations were made on the habits of the oxen one of the most interesting was as to the manner in which they met attack when they were disturbed in feeding the herd would retreat slowly and in order but if they saw they were being pursued they moved towards any vantage ground such as a rise or hill summit there to form themselves into a square each animal took up its position as though by word of command until they stood shoulder to shoulder with their heads outward and so close together their horns often linked while within the square were sheltered any young calves there might be with the herd as the enemy approached one of the oxen usually the oldest bull in the herd dashed out from its place in the square and bounded towards the foe with head down horns brandish with sidelong tosses of the head snorting and bellowing defiance as he left the square the ranks closed up and remained so until he returned when the ranks opened enough for him to back into his place while another animal charged out to carry on the combat in front of the square these movements were executed with lightning rapidity every animal dashing out in turn to seek single combat the one to advance being always the one to the right of the returned champion usually the advance was for a distance of a dozen yards but there were occasions when the explorers saw the challenging ox advance over a hundred yards from the main body when there were sufficient bulls in the herd to form the outer lines the cows were placed with the calves inside the square but if the bulls were not numerous enough to complete the outer ranks then the cows took their places beside the bulls in one instance where the herd consisted of cows and calves only the cows formed the square and carried on the fight while the calves were sheltered within the courage displayed by the oxen was not restricted to their defence they appeared to be actuated by an esprit de corps which could only be likened to the heroism which animates men of fanatical fighting tribes they were apparently incapable of fear even to that extent which makes the saving of oneself a first consideration when the square was once formed it never broke every beast in it might be killed one by one but there was never a sign of a breakaway or a stampede if only a few were killed the square stood its ground until the attackers retreated when with an open field the square slowly retired still in formation and still ready at the first signal to halt and renew the fight in one instance where every beast had been shot save one that one made his sortie pranced round in defiance and retired to the heap of slain all that remained of his gallant comrades their method of defence was capable of repelling the attack of any animal now inhabiting the arctic regions and more complete in its system than appeared to be needed to repel any of the animals likely to attack them it was unnecessary for the repelling of bears foxes would never attack animals so large the only animals likely to challenge a contest were the wolves operating in a pack but the arctic wolves as a rule hunt singly or in pairs there may have been a time however when they formed themselves into packs 
and from such a time the defensive tactics of the oxen may date certainly the formation would prove invulnerable against such an attack as was evidenced by the way in which a herd of oxen could hold at bay the dogs from the sledge teams as soon as oxen were sighted it was practiced to let the dogs loose they at once made for the oxen and as soon as the latter caught sight of them they formed into a square and remained so until the explorers came up and selected such of the herd as they required for the larder in no instance did the dog succeed in harming an ox though more than once a dog venturing too near a prancing champion was spun up into the air to fall to the ground a sad and subdued creature if it were so fortunate as to escape with its life the return of summer during the first year of their stay was marred by the death of the doctor early in june the shores of hayes sound were being surveyed the ice still covered the sea and the land was deep in snow one night when the surveying party had returned to their tent and were sitting round the oil stove eating their supper they heard a man outside asking if he might come in they opened the tent flap and discovered the doctor standing outside he was evidently ill and as they soon realized snow blind he had missed his way while out after specimens and had accidentally stumbled on the camp he was taken in and given warm food which revived him somewhat afterwards being put in a sleeping bag and made as comfortable as they could make him in the morning he pronounced himself much better and said he would stay at the camp resting for the day the party left him with no misgivings but on their return in the evening they found him dead in the sleeping bag camp was struck the following morning and with the body of the doctor on the sledge the party started back to the ship it was a sad journey not only was it the first time in the history of the fram that a member of the ship's company had died but the loss of the doctor was a serious matter to the explorers who were thus left without any qualified expert to attend them in the event of either sickness or accident occurring the procession reached the ship on june fifteenth and the next morning the whole company formed up in a funeral array to convey the remains of the doctor to their last resting place they gave him a sailor's burial the national flag covered the body and bier and the explorers walking slowly two and two proceeded down rice strait over the ice to a spot where a hole had been cut through the ice to the open water the body was lowered to the water's edge where it was held while prayers were read and a hymn sung then followed the moment when he slowly slipped into the deep we shall never forget it we sang a hymn and said the lord's prayer captain sverdrup wrote as the survey work advanced to the west of the sound the discovery of several inaccuracies in former maps led to the hope that new land might be located in that direction ellesmere land having been explored and sir robert inglis peak shown to be non-existent advantage was taken of the opening of the ice in the summer seasons to push the fram farther to the west so as to enable the sledge parties to reach still greater distances over the ice in that direction it was by this means the crowning triumph of the expedition was achieved though at the time of its achievement an event happened which very nearly brought about a tragic ending this was no less than a fire on the fram 
there were at the time only nine men on board for the winter an awning had been spread over the deck below the shelter of which numerous articles were stored including the ammunition and powder boxes a number of kayaks spare wood for repairing sledges and making ski the oil barrels and an iron tank full of spirits the chimney from the galley rose above this awning and one day a spark fell upon it at once the canvas burst into flame on the first alarm the mate who was in charge gave his attention to the removal of the oil and the explosives but while these were being dragged out of danger the flame spread rapidly from the awning to the rigging reaching the mainsail which also became ignited then the fire reached the kayaks the coverings which were all saturated with grease the blaze that followed set all the spare wood alight the iron tank full of spirits was thus surrounded by flames it was impossible to beat them back and the men realized that if the tank burst and the spirits caught fire the ship was doomed with despairing energy they attacked the fire with buckets of water and despite the primitive nature of the weapon they succeeded in subduing the flames before irreparable damage was done the tank fortunately withstood the heat though it was badly warped the kayaks were destroyed as well as all the spare wood the rigging and sails on the mainmast the awning and some stores on the lower deck where the flames also penetrated but the ship was saved on october thirteenth nineteen hundred the news was brought to the ship that the hopes of discovering new land were likely to be realized a party who had been far out to the west had seen in the distance what appeared to be land at a place where none was shown on the maps five days later with a picked band captain sverdrup was hastening to the place indicated as the winter was near at hand they could not do more than verify the news in the distance they saw what appeared to be new land while near at hand they found traces of large herds of oxen and reindeer the larder was in need of being replenished and as it was impossible to proceed with the survey of the newly discovered territory before the spring the members of the party secured as much beef and venison as they could for the winter supply by the time they returned to the ship they had enough fresh meat not only for themselves but also for the dogs to last until the following spring on april eighth nineteen o one sverdrup and his picked companions set out again to explore the new territory after pushing on as far as the outer limit of the coast they came upon what appeared to be a large bay the land they had descried laid on the far side of it and for the moment they feared that after all it was only a portion of the old though making the area of that much larger than had hitherto been believed to prove or disprove their fears they commenced to cross the ice in the bay as they proceeded the land at the head of the bay was seen to suddenly open out and reveal a sound running between two islands it was new land which lay before them and with great jubilation they named the channel eureka sound and the island after the king of norway the position was seventy eight degrees fifty minutes north latitude and eighty four degrees west long close examination of this island led to the discovery of remains of extensive eskimo settlements showing that at one time there had been a considerable population 
where now not a single eskimo was to be found the presence of whale bones among the ruins of the huts told of a still further change that had occurred for whales are now quite extinct in that part and have been for a long period end of section 13 recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interfaceaudio.com